not only here, but around the world, everywhere we touch. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Lake Church. Batman is back. Amen. It has been a good summer. And uh, how many appreciate God on film this past month? I believe it was one of the most uh, convicting God on films we've ever had. Um, God is so good. Amen. And we've got so many wonderful people that uh, are doing wonderful things right here in our church. And uh, I am grateful to be a part of this house. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, we've got some business to take care of. And I'm going to read a scripture, and then I'm going to call a, a precious family up here, and we're going to ordain them into the office of an elder of Lake Church. I want to read out of 1 Timothy chapter 3, which says, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, the Greek says one wife at a time, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become uh, puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Amen? And so... You know, when we uh, choose our elders, it's by the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit will uh, lead us in regards. And an elder is an overseer that does not run the church, but helps the church run. Amen? Very important. They help the church run, and they lift up the hands of the staff and enable the staff to be able to do what God's called them to do. And we're grateful that uh, the Andersons are going to be joining us in that endeavor. So I'm going to ask the Andersons to come on up here, if they would. I'm going to charge them with the word of the Lord. And uh, then we're going to have the other elders and the staff come and lay their hands on them. And uh, praise the Lord. Amen. You can just stand in front of here and praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now I'm going to charge you from the word of the Lord. Amen. In the fourth chapter of 2 Timothy, it says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming, and has already come, I might add, when people will not endure sound teaching. 
But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Amen? Hallelujah. So if you're out in the congregation, I want you to extend your hands as we pray over these. And I'm going to have the staff and uh, people come and uh, elders come and pray over them. Father, in Jesus' name, we just thank you. We lay our hands only on what you have laid your hands upon. Our hands mean nothing if you are not enveloping these people with your presence and with your power. We recognize the gift of God in both of these individuals, and we set them apart for the work that God has called them to right now in the name of Jesus. And we ordain them into the ministry of overseer, of elder of this house. The anointing that's upon our lives, we transfer. Freely as we receive, we freely give. In Jesus' name, and everyone that agrees with that prayer, say amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> and congratulations. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. Grateful to have the deacons that we do have or the elders that we do have. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Before I get started, I want to thank the church for being so gracious to Karen and I after the loss of Karen's dad passing. It was just wonderful to be blessed by the labor and love that this house provides through your loving care. And it was certainly seen, not just by us, but by people in the family that were just overwhelmed and said, what church do you go to? Because it was just over and above. It exceeded expectations. And that is the house that I'm proud to be a part of. Amen? And uh, Karen, would you like to say anything at all about that? No? Okay. Well, she has, was greatly blessed by your love. Every prayer, every phone call, every text, Every, I'm telling you, I think I gained 20 pounds because of all the food that was brought to the house. Grateful to God. And uh, Mimi sends her love as well and counts herself as a part of this house as well as First Baptist there. Amen. So are you ready for this? Yes. I hope that you are. <clears throat> you know, uh, it is good to get a physical every year. It's not necessarily the favorite thing that people want to do, especially men. You know, I don't really like going to the doctor and I don't really like getting tests and I don't really, I feel like I, you know, I, you know, I feel like I'm being put on the spot to perform, you know, and there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, you know, you're going to, you know, what's in your blood's in your blood. They're just going to tell you. And so you can't really cram for something like that. <laughs> so uh, 
what we're doing over these next few weeks is we're going to be uh, explaining what the Lord has been sharing with my heart. And I'm going to take my time with it because I think you need to get a hold of it. Because how many realize that when you have the disruption in the Middle East that we're having, the fact that the United States of America is being attacked from within, and the fact that nations are, are preparing for wars and rumors of wars, and that there is economic strain that is trying to come, which is not your inheritance. You do not inherit recessions. Amen. God takes care of his own. Praise the Lord. Just stay in God's system. You'll be all right. Amen. But uh, understand, you got to understand this, is that um, there are changes that are coming, physical changes that require the church to begin to wake up and take her place as the bastion of faith, hope, and love. That's what we're called to do. Does anyone believe that Jesus was the most powerful man that ever walked the earth? I mean, he stood before Pontius Pilate. He stood before Herod. He stood before, he, he could even stand before Caesar and still be the most powerful man on earth. It's amazing how that when we think of Jesus' earthly ministry, we think that he is just the most powerful person on planet earth, and he certainly was. But when we think about his body today, you're, you're not getting this. When we think about his body today, we think it's somehow inferior. When we think about his body on the earth today, which is the church. The Bible teaches that you are his body. Now, was his physical body the most powerful physical presence on planet Earth? Then there should be absolutely no difference. See, the Bible doesn't teach, and I'm going to. I'm just going to. Uh, just going to. Spit in your Kool-Aid today. The Bible doesn't teach about the world necessarily corrupting the church, although the world does corrupt the church. But what it teaches is that when the, when the church accepts, it goes back into the world. Come on now. I'm going to show it to you in the scriptures. So let's turn to Ephesians. So we're getting a checkup. We're going to turn our head and cough today. <laughs> Hello. It's good. We've got to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. I think that's in Nicodemus. Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to read it from the ESV, and then we're going to look at it in the message paraphrase. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 22, talking about the resurrected Jesus. Listen to these words. 
and he put all things under his feet. Okay? So that means at the resurrection of Jesus, the Jesus triumphantly was raised from the dead. It says that he spoiled and stripped principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. He stripped them. He took away their sham authority that they had gotten through Adam and now has given, been given all authority by the Father in heaven and in earth. And he's not talking about God's heaven when he says heaven and earth because God was already in authority over heaven. He's talking about the second heaven. He's talking about the psychic realm where these malevolent spirits resided. He says, I've been given authority not only upon the earth, but also upon the second heaven. Praise God. And that means, praise the Lord, that no evil shall befall thee. No plague shall... Come on now. I got to get warmed up here a little bit. You're going to have to help me. Amen? It's been a while. So he ascended and his, his resurrection caused him to put the enemy under his feet. And not just the enemy, but all things. And all means all. That means cancer. That means heart failure. That means high blood pressure. That means poverty. That means demonic manifestations. That means addiction. That means divorce. That means... He put all things under his feet, notice, and gave him as head over all things, but notice this, to the church. Okay. He is the head of all things, but he is the head of the church. Now notice it goes on and says this, which is his body. The church is his body. The collective church that doesn't just meet on 4851, but meets at every place that the Lord Jesus is exalted and the gospel is preached around the world is the body of Christ. And if the body of physical Jesus on the earth was the most powerful human being that ever treaded upon terra firma, then the collective body of Christ is also the most powerful. I'm convinced we don't believe it. I'm going to teach you why we don't believe that. Majority of the mindset of the church is, wait, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, it's so hard down here. I just can't wait for you to split that sky. No, the Bible says he's coming for a glorious church. Not a sick and depressed and discouraged and barely getting by and scraping. Hello, I don't know that you're ready for this stuff. Okay, now notice this. The fullness of him. So listen, listen to the language. The collective body of Christ, not individually. Listen, we're not, you are not the fullness of him. We have his fullness, but we're not the fullness of him. I don't express everything that Jesus is, but when I get with Jeff, then we, we come together, we become 
apart pieces of the puzzle of the body of Christ and we become more amplified. And the more collectively we come together, see, that's the reason why church attendance is so vital and important. There are people that actually believe that you can just simply have church at home, although they never do. They think, well, I can get, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, you're missing the point entirely. You're a part of a body. What if your knee decided, I'm not showing up today? I'm not going to show up today. The body of Christ is the fullness of him. So we could actually, another translation would say this, that the body of Christ or the church is the, just as Jesus was the express image of the Father. Remember that? Jesus said this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Hebrews says that Jesus was the very express image of God. That if you want to know what God is like, what he would say, what he would do, how he would act, how he would respond, you need to look no further than the four Gospels because he is the express image of the Father. Paul is using the same language here in regards to the church as the express image of Jesus in the earth. But we don't believe it. And that's what we're going to talk about. (coughs) Did you get that? Yes. (laughs) Hello. Let's read it from uh, the message. It says, he put all things under his feet. And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen? Amen. Notice this. All this energy issued from Christ, God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven. Oh, I like that. In charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments. Praise God. Praise the, no name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. Now here's the phrase that you need to get a hold of. It says, the church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world 
is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts by which he fills everything with his presence. Now listen to that again. Let's, let's look at that. Boy, I like this scripture. It says Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral. Now what are we talking about peripheral? I'm going to leave that scripture up. Let it soak and marinate in your spirit. What is peripheral? Peripheral means outside of you. It, you know, peripheral vision, you just I can kind of see over here. I can see Daniel, you know, over here. I can see Jesse. I see a peripheral view, but it's not where my focus is. Peripheral stuff is the colors that you don't notice in this building, the black and the gray and the, you know, various uh, you know, things that we have here, they're just kind of, they're not the focus. They're not the focus. So what is he saying by using this kind of language in regards to this verse? He is basically saying that, in, that the world is not what we are to focus on. But that if God is going to do anything in this earth, he's going to do it through the church. There is no more dynamic, powerful entity on planet earth. There's nothing else. There's no government. There's no ism. There's absolutely no philosophy. And there are no people that are more powerful. Than the people seated in this building. And the people seated in every church that calls Jesus Lord. But we don't believe it. I don't believe it because we've been duped. I've talked to you about this time and time and time again, but I believe that's one of my missions. My, one of my missions is, is, is to get you to see something that you don't see. That's the reason why I ran around two weeks ago because I heard the things that we have been preaching come through Kevin with conviction. It excited me. I'm not the only person <laughs> that sees this stuff. So I'm going to use a little object lesson to shed some light. Up here, you see this little black table here? Let's imagine you're in New York City. You're a young person in your early 20s. You've never been to the big city before. So you're walking the hustle and bustle of Times Square. Just the, it's just, oh, just overwhelming. The lights, the activity, the sights, the sounds, the smells. It's just absolute, you know, sensory overload. And you come across a corner where it just seems like these people are just having this wonderful time. 
And they're cheering and laughing and high-fiving one another. And it just seems like they're just having the best time in the world. And basically what it is, it's a man on the back of a table with just three cards on the table. And the whole purpose of this game, this three-card game, is to find the queen of diamonds. And so as you sit there and investigate, you've got $50 in your pocket. And this $50 is your last $50. It's not you don't have any more in the ATM and you're a stranger in a strange land. Am I painting the picture? And so you just take a gander because everybody's having a good time. You know, you see somebody, he would take it, he would take the cards and he would mix the cards up and he would go this way and go this way. And they had just a very fantastic way of moving these cards that was almost mesmerizing, almost hypnotic. So you're watching and some people win. In fact, you've got one in three chances of winning here. And you're sitting there and you're watching it and all of a sudden you get this idea in your head that I have somehow figured out some characteristic on the back of the card that holds the queen of hearts that I can distinguish it from the other two cards. We all think that. We all think that. We all think that we know of a little dot or a little, you know, finger smudge or, or something that's just rubbed wrong, and we think we can figure it out. And all the while, they're just having a good time. People are losing money. It doesn't seem to bother them. They might get a little mad, but they're laughing. They're having a good time. So you decide... I can double my money. So I'm going to bet that I can recognize the queen of hearts. And I'm going to lay down my entire money that I have for tonight. And I'm going to bet on the queen of hearts. So you wait your turn. You finally get up before the guy. And you're just sure it's this card. You can tell the difference. It's, there's something different. There's some kind of contour, some kind of nuance that gives you the ability to distinguish between the other two cards. And so as you're sitting there, he begins to move the cards around and you're watching, and you've got your eye on that one card. You know you're following it close. And then finally, you pick. And guess what? I picked it right. <laughs> but I knew. Guess what? It's the Jack of Spades. $50 gone. No more fun that night. In fact, you're going to have to call home. You're lost. Stranger in a strange land. Now let me tie together another story. John chapter 2. 
In John chapter 2, we see Jesus going to celebrate the Passover, the first time that he celebrates the Passover with his disciples. In fact, I'm going to get the scripture here real quickly so that we can look at it. John chapter 2. And verse 14, it says, In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables, and he said, told them, those who um, sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father a house of trade. One translation says, my father's house is not a house of trade, but a house of prayer. Amen? So what was Jesus doing? Jesus was taking a system. You're not getting this. He was taking a system that was in a sacred place and he was removing it. What does this represent? It represents a system. A system that people bank their lives on. You could use this as a metaphor for the American dream. You could use this as a metaphor for religious Christianity. It's all a game of chance. There's always a one in three chance that you might get what you came for, but you also have two out of three chances that you will not. And that's the system that the enemy has put in the church. I just explained to you from that story, Genesis chapter three, I've just explained it to you. We get enamored, we get attracted, we get into the flow. We begin to think that we know better. And we take a chance and gamble everything. And end up losing. Oh, come on now. Now, here's what's happened over the last 20 years. The church has been looking at that table. We're not looking at Jesus anymore. We're looking at that table. We're looking at that system. How can we reach people? Oh, I don't know if you're ready for this stuff. Because like I said, this is a physical, man. Are you getting a hold of this? The church has been looking at this stuff. How can we reach people? You know, we were, we're, you know, because when we started the church in 2007, majority of the literature that was coming out 
was anti-church. Even in Christian bookstores, it was anti-church. In fact, when we started, it was, well, the church is this, and the church is this, and the church has got problems, and the church hurts people, the church does this, blah, 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 blah. And so you're beginning to think, okay, well, I guess I need to get a survey card and hand it out to every unbeliever in this community and let them tell me. Oh, I don't know that you're, I don't know. This is hardcore because I'm going to get on you here in a minute. I'm going to tell them what they want. Tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Tell me what you want, what you really, really want. I want to... <laughs> Hello. And that's what we do. You want your car cleaned in the parking lot while you're in here? You want color TVs? You want church by the numbers? Hello? I'm watching. I'm thinking, you know what? Maybe I want to reach a certain segment of people groups or, or certain segments of society that we're not personally reaching. Well, then I'm, instead of looking to Jesus and saying, Lord, how do I reach the people? I'm trying to find out how this works. I think I got it figured out. If, if we just, see, someone's getting it back there. I think I got this figured out. If we would just be more inclusive. Maybe we could celebrate Earth Day. You know, maybe we could just be a little bit more friendly to this segment of society. We're supposed to be friendly to everybody. Listen, guys, we're supposed to be friendly to everybody, but make no mistake, the gospel is not a friendly message. It's not a friendly message to people that want to live in sin. It's not friendly. They get mad about it. You start talking about them being a sinner. You start talking about them needing a savior. You No, no, I don't want that. That's not friendly to them. You need to understand that. If you are not at odds, then you're not doing the works of Jesus. See, the more I try to figure this out, the more I try to work this thing, I may have success one out of three times. But the two out of three, I'm going to fail miserably. And the church has been in a constant state of losing at this table. We have lost at this table. We've tried to embrace the church as a whole. Not Lake Church. The church as a whole has tried to embrace same-sex marriage. Tried to embrace other abominable sinful actions. Not sinful people. We understand we're all sinners. But the sinful actions of people, we began to condone them. Trying to figure it out. How can we fill them seats? Because that's really the measure 
that we measure success in church anymore. It's how many people show up. How much money's in the bank. But Jesus said none of that. Jesus never said that was the basis for anything. In fact, Jesus didn't even tell us to build the church. He never told me to build the church. He never told you to build the church. He said, I will build my church. Hello. Think of it this way. Jesus is the only carpenter that works with materials that will walk off the job. Just breathe deeply. It'll be all right. Decide they don't want to be at the certain place he wants them. I've got a place for you right here. This is the perfect place right here for you. Nope. I don't want it. I'm going to go somewhere else. See, the church has been fed baloney from a system that is not a part of God's house. And that's why Jesus got some cords and he whipped it out. Why did he whip them out? Because he didn't want quick trip in the middle of his temple. Sacrificing to the Lord is not about convenience. It's not about just thinking about it when you get in there. It should be a process of pilgrimage, a journey. And you take that all away when you have quick trip in the middle where you can just get a pigeon, you can just get this. There's nothing connecting you to your sacrifice anymore. And instead of preparing and having the proper coinage for the temple taxes, there were money changers that were there just to change your money out, and they were doing it with interest. They were making money off of the exchange. That's not what God desires. That's not what he wants. But yet we sit in churches that operate from this table of chance rather than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if we tend to look at life and say, hey, I'm going to figure this table out, maybe if we didn't do this and we do do this and we don't do that and we do do this, maybe it will fill our churches. Maybe it will cause us to be successful in the world's eyes. And we're never meant to be successful in the world's eyes. When I try to get that queen of diamonds and I seek to try to find answers at this table, I cease to be the church. Are you with me? It'll be all right. Now, we got to talk about something important. Hallelujah. 
Let's look over. Let's, I want to go back to my... Let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse number 19. Notice what Jesus said to the disciples. And we miss this point. We've taught on this over and over again. But we're going to keep teaching it until you get it. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Who has the keys of the kingdom? Does Biden have the keys of the kingdom? Does China have the keys of the kingdom? Does the Ukraine have keys of the kingdom? Does the EU have keys of the kingdom? Listen, I'm just doing that to get you to think. Who has the keys of the kingdom? Who are you? The church. The body of Christ has the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So that means this, that if heaven is going to be unlocked upon earth, it's going to come through the church. Listen to me. If heaven is going to be unlocked, it's going to come through you. It comes through you individually. It comes through us collectively. Okay? He says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. He's saying it a lot better than I am. (laughs) Amen. I think I'll have John John read my scriptures from now on with that deep baritone voice. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Okay. So what do you think that is? What do you think that means? That means you're a gatekeeper. Slavery was in America because the church tolerated it. Hello? The reason why we have confusion and sexuality is because we've had bad Christian heterosexuality on display. We talk about cancel culture. Church invented it. I told you it's going to be rough. Church invented it. How many have ever experienced being canceled by a church? I guarantee you hands, if we, if we were all honest, I think hands across this place will lift up. Somebody, listen, I still, I still get noses turned up to me at Walmart over something that happened 15 plus years ago. Oh. The church invented all these things. The church operates in all these things. And that's the reason why they're rampant, because we've given permission. 
You don't believe this. I can tell you do not believe this. We give permission when we do not act in the standard of Christ, we give permission for the world to cast off restraint. Where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. And we're not elevating the vision of Jesus high enough in our personal lives and in our collective lives to be able to matter in the world system. And if we don't take, take our place, if we don't take our place as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and begin to do the works of Jesus in our generation, your kids are going to be at that table. Your grandkids are going to be at that table. And that's how they're going to base their life. And they were taught it by the best because they were taught it by you. It's time for us to raise the standard. Are you with me? This is too slow for you. I like to do impressions. Every time I do an impression, my wife says, who is that? <laughs> so I'm pretty good. But here's an impression. Let me know if you can guess who this is. You know, I really like you. But I'm telling you, if you mess up, if you make one mistake, if I catch you in an inch of doing something wrong, I am going to dump you, I am going to leave you, and I'm going to gossip and slander you until you are absolutely buried in the dust. Can you guess who that is? It's you. It's me. Oh, come. come on now. We do cancel culture all the time. Someone doesn't come to church anymore. We Hello. We're not supposed to do that. I never do that. I run to them and hug them. Hello. We don't cancel people out. And especially when people sin, they get into trouble, we don't cancel them. Hello, we don't cancel them. The Bible does say that we should not have anything to do with someone who habitually practices sin, who does not want to change or repent or does not want help. But that is not the majority of people out there. Most people are struggling. Most people are trying to make it. Most people are trying and desperately need want some help. But because they messed up, we're going to cancel them. And if you're a Christian leader and you mess up, you're going to get canceled. Hello. Amen. And in fact, churches that go by the biblical mandate of restoring people that have failed in ministry and in their personal lives, they get criticized. Hello. Because why? They got the table in the temple. Oh, are you sure? 
You getting it? You getting this? You got the table in the temple. You're not playing by the book. You're playing by cards. They're trying to figure it out. How, how does this look to people? You know, if I keep him on and I keep them doing this, how's that going to look to people? You know, I want to fill the seats and I want money. Instead of doing what Jesus said, do. Restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. Lest you also be tempted. Because guess what? You pass judgment on a brother or sister, you're going to face that same temptation. The enemy just saying, oh, I got you now. I got you now. Because he moves by legal action. And when he sees you judging somebody, he's going to come after you. And there are preachers all over this land who preach stuff about God being the highest high and the lowest low. But when one of their brothers gets in trouble, they shun them and don't have anything to do with them. Is that the Bible? Is that what Jesus came and died for? We've been sold a bill of goods, my friends. We've been too much at the table. We need to let the temple be revived. We need to get rid of the junk. I'm telling you, personally, you need to make a cord. I said, personally, you need to make a cord. And every pastor in America needs to make a cord. And we need to drive out the tables that are in our church, the systems that are keeping the lost from coming and finding life, the systems that are keeping people from growing in the Lord. Because when I become a legalist, I cease to become like Jesus. Okay, all right. Got a little more? Is that all right? Are we doing okay? Okay, I'm going to give you this right here. A couple more scriptures, and I'm going to show you the next little object lesson here. Now, notice this, Psalm 115, 16. It says, the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to who? So God is not responsible for the mess this world's in. Let me say that again. If he gave it to the children of men, then who messed it up? You want to know why? Because there's no gatekeepers. As goes the church, so goes the world. Now, listen, I'm not asking for perfect lives here because I know I can't do it. What am I asking for? A person that relies on the grace and mercy of God to live their life and lives by faith. That's all, all God's asking. He's not asking for you to be perfect. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to do stupid stuff. He asked for a genuine faith. Not a feigned faith, not a fake faith, not I don't do this and I don't do that, thereby I'm right with God. That is not what is going to win the world. 
But when someone who is broken, who is on the edge of taking their own life, and the grace of God came down and salvaged them and saved them and lifted them up, that's the message the world needs. First Peter chapter 4. For it is time for judgment to begin. Where does it begin? Where does the judgment of God begin? What are we doing? We're judging ourselves. That's what we're doing today. We're judging ourselves. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 14, 15, 14 or 15, somewhere in there, it says, believe me, it's in there. Um, it says that we're to judge ourselves lest we not be judged. Lest we be judged. So I would rather judge myself. Hello. Because judgment begins where? Begins in the house of God. So why does it begin at the house of God? Because everything starts at the house of God. Oh, you didn't get that. Everything starts from the house of God. Hello. All right. I know you don't believe me, but it's the truth anyhow. Notice this. Now we got to talk about something serious. Let's talk about 2020. And I mean no disrespect. I'm not going to condemn anybody for what they did or did not do in 2020. I'm just showing you how this table has deprived us, has fooled us, duped us, and deceived us into not believing what Jesus said we are. We established we are the express image of Jesus. Jesus was the most powerful human being to ever walk the earth. Collectively, the body of Christ is the most powerful entity on planet earth. There's no government. There's no society. There's no university. There's no elitists that are more powerful than the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. None. Absolutely none. But we don't believe it. It's because we've been duped by the table. The table has taught us that there are basically two categories. What was the main thing that was attacked during the pandemic? Well, if you're smart, you realize that the church was attacked. If you wanted to sell CBD products, you could be open. If you wanted to sell booze, you could be open. But what did they tell the church not to be? Shut down. Stop meeting. Hello? Why is that? Because the church is the number one pusher. I'm going to have to get me another pen here. Some of these pens are. Is the number one pusher of three things faith, 
hope, and love. And when the church is not active, these are not active. Okay? So I can tell that uh, if you believed, because here was the big phrase that was being tossed around. What is essential? Well, apparently faith, hope, and love wasn't essential. But those are the three things that make this world tolerable, is faith, hope, and love. Because this world's a miserable mess. I don't care how young or how old you are. The older you get, the more you realize this is a dump. This is a dump. There are people not starving for heaven because they're fooled by the glitz and the glamour of this world. They're fooled by the table. They're enamored by the table. Let me tell you something about the table. While you're sitting here slapping your money down, what you don't realize is those people that were laughing and having a good time, they were with the dealer. They weren't strangers off the street. They're a part of the scam. They're a part of the ruse. They're a part of the grift. And the church has been looking at this table thinking that we'll make people happy if we'll just be able to figure out the cards. The whole while being goaded by a group of people that have no affinity towards the church, God, or anybody. Well, you've got to accept me the way that I am. Jesus will accept anybody just as they are. But he will not keep them that way. Hello. Someone's going to change, and it isn't going to be him. But here's the problem. What's essential? Are you, are you, are you got three more minutes? Okay. Okay. What's essential? Well, here's the problem. Is that the enemy knows that words are important, and he knows that there is definitions of words. The definition of a word is the power of the word itself. So in, the inherent power within the word is the definition. So if he can alter and change definitions, then he can alter the power of it. He can direct people and, and um, provision and stuff in the wrong direction if he can change the designation, if he can change the definition. The word church is not in the Bible. Well, pastor, you're wrong. I'm looking at it right here. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, the church is a transliterated word. That means it's a word that's been made by translators to convey a concept or an idea. The word that Jesus used was ecclesia. He used ecclesia. And ecclesia is an entirely different word than what we do 
in our culture today because our culture has been at the table. And we fell for the German word, Kirch. Okay? That's a German word, Kirch. Now, Jesus' word was Ecclesia. Very different concepts come with the differences of the names. The word Ecclesia means called out ones that would be called the legislative assembly. Oh, I hope you get a hold of that. Okay? So, so when it comes to the ecclesia, the ecclesia of a community was a group of people called out that met on top of a hill overlooking the community, and they decided legislatively what would come in and what would go out, what would be bound and what would be loosed. They had authority. If they didn't want a certain product coming in, nope, we're not going to take that in. If there was a certain teaching coming through their schools, they said, no, we're not going to do that. If there was a movie coming in that everybody else was wanting to see, they'd say, no, we're not going to have that here. We're not going to bring that in. We've got kids. The church used to do this. Oh, you, you don't. See, we're so far removed from that that we don't even think it's, it's, it's a possibility. And I'm not saying politically, because we need to stop working the table of politics. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm not saying don't pray. I'm not saying don't be active. But I'm telling you what, that's not the answer. Jesus is the answer in the church arising to its place of dominance again. But basically, you got Ecclesia is big C church. Big C church. But church is little C church. Most people have their identification in little C church. Because little C church is about my needs. Most people, when you ask them about the church, they say stuff like, I really like the music. That's why I go. Or they really have good children's ministry and that's why I go because my kids get blessed there and they've got this or they do this or they do that or they feed this and they do this and they do that that is not Big C Church see Little C Church you can just leave because someone's always going to have better music (laughs) oh God Is church essential? No, not this one. Because you can quit it. A lot of people do. Well, I'm just not getting fed anymore. You hear that? That's a little C church. Big C church says Jesus is building his church. I'm part of his building. I'm going to be where Jesus tells Come on. Oh, come on. It's a big difference. People leave Little C Church all the time. They leave Little C Church for important things like the music's not what I like. That's very important. That's very life-changing, life and death. 
I didn't like who took up the offering, and I just don't really like what they say. I'm going to go somewhere else. That's a little C church. Big C church doesn't care who's up there. Big C church, I'm, 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 I'm a part of the house. I'm a part of this building. I am, Jesus is building this church. He chose to put me here. Guess what? You know, we, we got this building, and, and, and I'm sure if these, these could, you know, be animated, that uh, post there probably say, man, I don't want to be here today. You know, the chair you're sitting in, someone's going to sit in me again. <laughs> Hope it's that guy that doesn't wash again. <laughs> but are they here? Yeah. Are they here? You show up, they're here. They're not running off. You don't see one of them begin to hobble and run away from you as you're trying to sit in because they're where they're supposed to be. Because there was a vision that put them in the place that they're supposed to be in. And if you're a big C church, you realize Jesus put me here. I answered to Jesus. And it doesn't matter whether I like this or like that or whether we're hitting it on all points here or whether we're missing it on this. I'm here because God put me here. But we got a lot of church by numbers out there paying their musicians. Because they know they can fill seats. Some of them can't preach themselves out of a wet paper sack. But they got good music. They got media, they got lights, and they got smoke. And they're fooling a whole young generation of people by the table. Hello? I, I, what people quit this church for is absolutely laughable. It's absolutely laughable. It's the most petty stuff in all my days. I feel like I'm back in junior high dealing with some people. And we're supposed to win the world? We're supposed to bind and loose? We don't even know, know our own name. We don't know where we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to be doing. There's an aversion to serving in the church these days, an aversion to it. They think, well, if I'm doing it, I should be paid. That's little C church. Because big C church believes I'm paid regardless of whether I'm physically paid because I work until the... Hello. Well, if I'm going to do it, I got to get, I got to get paid. I got to have some money. Hello. They don't show up. Don't do anything. Hello. And there are churches that actually acquiesce to that demand and they pay their, you know, people that work in their children and pay, you know, certain things like that. Listen, the reason why you should volunteer is because it's a sacrifice unto the Lord. And secondly, it gets your eyes off of the system that says money runs everything. What you're telling me, your God, is money. 
You don't like this, I know, you know. But it's the truth. My needs. My needs. Big church is about mission. It ain't about my needs. It's about mission. I'm called here because God's given me a mission. I don't come to church to get. I come to church to give. I don't come to be served. And when pastor's hitting it on all cylinders, I'm blessed. But when he flubs up, like many times he does, I'm blessed. Because I'm called to a mission. And if we got someone trying out and they don't do very good and they might flounder and they might flub up, might say something that I don't necessarily like, I just realize, hey, it's part of the mission. I don't leave and go to... Hello. Come on now. I've ran out of time. I don't want to go any further. And I can tell you can bear no more. But we're going to talk about some very important things in these next few times together. Is church essential? This isn't. This isn't. It's just a club. We get together and we have Bible studies and everybody just loves one another. Well, what about the lost? What about someone that's dying and going to hell? What about somebody that... Is the church is here. The church is about transforming lives. It's not about us sitting and consuming and singing kumbaya to one another. And we've got to do what the church can only do. The church can only do by bringing the gospel. The gospel's number one. There's not anything you can do better than the gospel. There's not anything you can give better than the gospel. There's nothing. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of material possessions. There's nothing. If you don't give the gospel, you're not doing the ministry of Jesus. You can give bikes. You can give water. You can give food. But if you do not give them the gospel, you are not giving them anything. Because guess what? The devil can give water, and the devil can give food, and the devil... Hello. Hopefully you feel the need to repent. If I've done my job right, I had to. And even as I'm ministering this right now, I've repented as I'm sitting here talking to you. The Lord is transforming us. And that leads me to my last thing that I need to say to you is the Lord every year when I take the summer off per se I pray about the church and I ask crazy questions the first question I ask Lord am I a part of the next season of Lake Church I ask that Lord do you want me to move on do you have something else for me somebody better can take my place that's what I ask. I ask, what's the direction of the church? What do we need to do? What is going to best serve what you want to do in the house? Not what I want to do, but what you want to do in the house. And I was frustrated for many weeks, not getting anything. And then the Lord gave me a word 
that is the next season of Lake Church. He brought up Acts chapter 2. And he said they were all in one accord and in one place. And the Holy Ghost, and that's the formula. One accord, one place, Holy Ghost. I knew exactly what he was saying. And it ties in with my message. As goes the church, so goes the world. The Lord spoke to me and said, I want to do things in Lake Church collectively. So he began to talk to me about going to one service. Now, we haven't had one service since 2007, 15 years. So this is kind of scary even for me. We have the space and we have the parking and we have the logistics to be able to do this. I believe God wants what's alive and vibrant in the 9 a.m. to come and merge with the 11 a.m., I believe what's vibrant in the 11 a.m. needs to come into this setting. And I believe that we collectively need to be together for a season. And that means we're going to start one service on the 4th of September at 10 a.m. We will have a 10 a.m. service. God wants to do something incredible in our lives and he can only do it corporately. Now listen, sometimes we do things because we've always done them that way. And this goes against church growth principles. It goes against me. I, I, I'm probably the worst, you know, I've had the worst time of it because I don't like to relinquish anything. But the Lord spoke to me and he told me, one accord, one place, Holy Ghost. One accord, one place, Holy Ghost. And I believe that that is the formula that he has given us for this next season. Now that means that everybody will be together. It doesn't mean that we cannot grow. Absolutely we'll grow. We'll grow. The momentum will be here. The dynamics will be here. We'll be able, listen, there shouldn't be a move of God at nine and not a move at 11. Hello. 30 minutes should not determine whether or not we're going to be in an oasis or a desert. Okay. So I hope that you'll get behind this because the Lord's behind it. I know he is because if you know, my staff knows me, I, this is not something that I would do. This is not something that I would do. They've, they've asked it, you know, during COVID when we had lower numbers. I said, hey, we might need, no, no, we're not doing it. But when the Lord speaks, we've got to follow. Amen? Amen. So um, I believe it's Labor Day weekend. We'll do 10 a.m. and we'll stay like that until the Lord releases us to do something else. But we've got the room. We've got the room. We put a hundred more chairs in this. That's the reason why it looks a little bit more, you know, sparse. But we put a hundred more chairs when we brought in John Ramirez. And um, 
we were able to handle that crowd. We were able to have sufficient parking for that crowd. We'll have sufficient parking, sufficient things, and I believe we will give more quality ministry by channeling our focus on this 10 a.m. service. Amen. Amen? Amen? So pass it along. Amen. Are everybody okay with that? Yes. Praise the Lord. You believe that's the Lord? Yes. Amen. I believe it's the Lord. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus, or you're here and you need to rededicate your life to the Lord, or you're here and you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, you don't need to walk away without those things. We're going to have ministers that are going to be right here that are ready to receive you, to pray for you, to minister to you if you need deliverance, if you need prayer for sickness and disease. They're right here. They'll even take communion with you if you want to. They'll pray over prayer clause if you want to. We want you to walk out with what you need from the Lord. Amen? And so, praise the Lord. They're going to be up here after, after I close the service, and then you can come up here and receive prayer. Amen? Amen? So let's pray and answer the call to what we heard. Let's kick down the tables in our lives. Let's allow the temple of God to be refired up within us. Father, in Jesus' name, I just pray for each and every individual. And I just pray, Father God, that as they've been stirred in their hearts, that they'll come forth with repentance and with decisions and commitments that they may have not been making during this time. And I just thank you, Father God, that we will rise up and we will be the ecclesia, the legislative assembly of this generation, of this community, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You can be dismissed.